I am an early riser on Sunday mornings. Jana will tell you that on Sunday morning, I don't like to sleep in. I just can't sleep in. And so I'm typically at the building very early on Sunday mornings. A lot of times I'm here by, oh, about 6, 6.30. And I, I just like to pray about the day. I like to look over my notes. Uh, I like to make sure everything is, hand, is in hand uh, before I stand to preach. And so it was probably about six weeks ago I was here early, and I get a text. And I open the text, and it's from Dave Clayton. I don't know Dave Clayton that well, but I, I do know him. Dave preaches for a large church in Nashville. Um, it's called Ethos. It's a very creative kind of church. Uh, you know, they're reaching a lot of young folks, have multiple services, several locations. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. Dave Clayton sent me a text, and his text said this. Father, would you anoint Kevin with your power today as he invites many people to identify themselves with you in baptism Father, would you please move in undeniable ways through your church in Nashville today. In the name of Jesus, amen. And my opinion of Dave Clayton just went through the roof at that moment. I thought, how cool is that? Here is a guy who, um, who he's probably just praying for various ministers, you know, as they, as they prepare to preach. And so he sent me this really great prayer. And then I thought, how in the world does he know I'm preaching on baptism? Because the crazy thing was, I was preaching on baptism that morning. And then, uh, so I'm just thinking about this prayer and thinking about what a great guy Dave Clayton is, clearly. And then I get this, I get this follow-up text immediately. The follow-up text was, oops, I meant this for my friend Kevin Queen here in Nashville, but certainly we'll pray for you in, Le- in Lebanon as well. See, my opinion of him just went way down. So, uh, so I texted him back a little later. And I said, I said, Dave, here's the cool thing about your inadvertent prayer. I, too, was preaching on baptism. God knew. And then he responds, what? God is awesome. How'd it go? And I said, great. No baptisms this morning, but at least two will be baptized this week that I know of. And that's true. Later on that week, uh, two folks confessed their faith in Christ and were baptized into Jesus. And I thought to myself, you know, that just kind of highlights the idea of 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 the mystery of prayer you know probably all of us in this room would say we need to pray and and prayer is a good thing and yet quite frankly I struggle just a little bit with the idea of prayer I struggle with it for a lot of reasons I feel a little bit of guilt in my own life because I always think I should pray more Uh, I have questions regarding uh, the efficacy of prayer, meaning, uh, you know, there have been times in my life when I've really prayed for something, um, and and yet, you know, God chose in his sovereignty not to answer it as I I was, you know, praying. Sometimes we wonder, does prayer really make a difference? And and so I, you know, in this sermon series today, we're going to talk about the subject of, of prayer uh, and I, I wanted to look at it from this perspective. We could talk about a lot of things regarding prayer, and we have before. But I wanted to ask the question, so what can Jesus teach us about prayer? Uh, what do we learn from the master teacher? Because here's the interesting thing. The disciples, at one point in Jesus' ministry, in Luke chapter 11, they came to him with a request. They said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Now, that's fascinating to me because they never asked Jesus, 
would you teach us to preach? They never came to Jesus and said, Lord, would you teach us to witness? They never came to the Lord and said, Lord, would you teach us to be great leaders? I mean, you're you're an awesome leader. We see that in you. The only time in Scripture where we find the disciples asking Jesus to teach them something is right here in Luke chapter 11, where they come to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so what can we learn from Jesus about prayer? prayer i would like for us to come to jesus in this same posture and so in fact i would like for us to really begin with this prayer that we find on our screen would you stand with me right now and would you would let's in a full-throated kind of way let's all say together these words if you believe them say them with me lord teach us to pray all right you may be seated and i believe the lord's going to answer that prayer this morning I believe the Lord is going to teach us, show us some things maybe we hadn't thought of regarding prayer. I'd like to suggest to you, first of all, this morning, right out of the gate, that prayer, it shows our utter dependence on God. We could also say it like this. A lack of prayer shows how we depend on ourselves. Now, this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I came across some material that Steve Abbott wrote that I find very, very helpful. And and the big ideas in this sermon really come from him. And that's really the first idea. When we think about prayer and what Jesus can teach us about prayer, we understand it shows our utter dependence on God. Now, the fascinating thing about Luke's gospel was that Luke has a a very strong interest in, in showing the prayer life of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever paid much attention to what we learn about about Jesus' prayer life in in Luke, but we find a lot of passages of Scripture that that point to to his prayer life. And so, for instance, following Jesus' baptism in Luke chapter 3. Now, most of the other uh, gospel writers, they they show Jesus' baptism, or at least they allude to it. John alludes to it. The other two gospel writers, they, they picture Jesus' baptism. But it's only Luke that says this in Luke chapter 5, uh, uh, 3 rather, and verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And then it says, and as he was praying, heaven was opened. So the first time we see something about Jesus' prayer life is at his baptism. He's, he's baptized and then it says heaven is open. Second time we learn about Jesus' prayer life is in is in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and and down in verse uh, 16, where we just have this statement. It says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He did that often. That was a part of his rhythm of life. Another place is in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. Now, by the time we get to Luke chapter 6, Jesus is about ready to choose his apostles. And before he makes that important choice, he doesn't just, you know, choose 12 guys that he likes or choose 12 guys that he has known. What Jesus does in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, it says this, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Before Jesus made the decision with regard to who he would choose to be apostles, he spent all night praying to God. The next time we see prayer in Jesus' ministry is in Luke chapter 9, uh, down in verse uh, 18. Luke 9, 18. And this is that moment in the ministry of Jesus when 
Um, he asks Peter, who do people say that I am? And, and, you know, Peter in time makes this great confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But verse 18, right before that moment, it says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? So again, we see Jesus now. He's with the disciples and they're praying in private. Also in that same chapter, down in verse 28, it says, um, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up on a mountain. He, he had this transfiguration moment. Uh, he pulled back his humanity, and for a moment they were given a glimpse of the divinity of Jesus. And it says in verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him. And notice what they were going to do. They went up on a mountain to pray. And all through Jesus' ministry, he's, he's teaching parables. And yet Jesus rarely gives us insight into what these parables are about, except in Luke's gospel. And in Luke chapter 18, he, he's teaching this story. And right before he teaches the story, he says, here's what this is really designed to do. It's designed to motivate you in a way. In Luke 18, verse 1, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So whatever happens after, after this verse, whatever, the, whatever this parable is about, it's, it's something that should motivate, move disciples to always pray and to not give up. And then now Jesus is toward the end of his ministry. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's about ready to go to the cross. And he takes his disciples with him. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus prays. We know this moment well. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And notice what Jesus prays. Father, if you are willing, verse 42, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And an angel from heaven appeared and came and strengthened him. So here's Jesus, and he says, I'm about ready to go to the cross, and Father, if there's any other way, I, I pray that, that that would occur. It's not that Jesus is so concerned about the physical pain he's going to experience. Many people went to crosses and died on crosses. But Jesus' death on the cross was utterly unique, and it was utterly unique in this way. Jesus is the only person to die on a cross that was experiencing the pain from, of separation from God, the pain of ex, experiencing our sin, my sin, your sin. All of our sin was placed on him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, He who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become children of God. So, so he was, what he was experiencing was utterly unique. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. But notice his attitude. But not my will your will be done Luke pays a special pays special attention to the prayer life of Jesus now here's the question I want to raise why was Jesus always praying or maybe we could ask the question like this what did Jesus do on his own apart from prayer and the answer is nothing he was dependent on his father Listen to what Jesus said about himself in John's gospel. In John chapter 5, verse uh, 19, he said, The Son can do nothing by himself. 
He can only do what he sees his father doing. And then down in verse 30, by myself I can do nothing. If this is true of God come in the flesh, how much more do we need God? Prayer, you see, it shows our utter dependence on God. And here's the fascinating thing. Not only did Jesus model this in his life, his dependence on God, but by the time the church is birthed in the book of Acts, we see the same thing in the life of the church. So by the time we come to Acts chapter 1, by this time Judas has betrayed the Lord and they need to replace Judas. They eventually replace him with Matthias. And what are the, what are the people of God doing in Acts 1 verse 14? They, they come together they're joining constant joining together constantly it says constantly in prayer and so in acts chapter 4 when when peter or rather when uh when a peter was in was in prison acts 12 actually when peter was in prison you know what the people of god do they gather together to pray when they needed additional elders you know what they did in acts chapter 14 the church came together and prayed and fasted prayer shows our utter dependence on God. And so here's a question that I want to ask you this morning. Is prayer for you optional or essential? And so think about think about areas in our life that we struggle with. Okay, so think about your parenting. You approach parenting from your own perspective, your own wisdom, your own ideas or or are you the kind of parent that's praying for your kids? Asking God to fill you with wisdom. Uh, think for a moment about, about your job. You know, if we're not careful, we have this dichotomy. We say, well, then, you know, the spiritual and the secular, and, you know, I think about God on Sunday, but, you know, Monday it's all about my work. How much do you pin, depend on God regarding prayer with, with regard to your work? Or what about your marriage? Is prayer essential or is it optional? Are you praying for your spouse and with your spouse? Are you praying, God, would you make me the kind of man I need to be who will love my wife as Christ loved the church? Prayer says to God, we're utterly dependent on you. That's what we learned first from Jesus, but we learned something else. So right after the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray, well, here's what Jesus says. He says, this is in, in uh, Luke 11 now, he says, Father hallowed be your name the first word of that prayer is very very significant but because it suggests something about a relationship father hallowed be your name here's something else i think we learn from jesus about prayer and that is the primary purpose of prayer is to deepen and nurture that relationship now, many of us grow up thinking that prayer is about asking God for things. God, help me with this. God, give me this. God, protect me from this. Or maybe we think prayer is about asking God for things on other people's behalf. Lord, protect my kids. Lord, help my children. Lord, help my wife. Lord, be with my grandmother. Oh, Father, don't let her die. Be with her as she goes into the surgery. And so... This may be one of the primary reasons why we don't pray as much or maybe even why we've stopped praying altogether. If prayer is merely asking for what we want and you don't get what you want, then why should we pray at all? 
Now, all of us could think of times when we prayed for something and God didn't answer it. At least he didn't answer it as we wished for him to answer it. I mean, I'm thinking right now, 12, well, it's been now 13 years ago. Yeah, thir- 13 years ago when my, when my first wife was diagnosed with cancer. And immediately, people all over the country began praying for her. Um, my brother-in-law, Scott, had this wonderful idea. That was back when people had, still had pagers. I know we don't have pagers now, but he got a pager for us. And, and we gave out that number, the number to the pager, and, and we asked people to pray. And after they prayed, we asked them to type in the number on the pager. So we had this pager, and that pager was literally going off all the time. And we would look and we would see a number. We didn't always know the numbers, but we could tell by the area codes. So we were living in New Mexico, and the area code there was 505, and any time that pager would go off and it was a 505 area code, we thought, somebody in New Mexico is praying for her. God bless them. And then it would go off, it would be a 615, and we would say, somebody in Tennessee is praying for them. Or 618, somebody in southern Illinois, where my folks were from, is praying for her, praying for us. And it would go off all the time. And I can tell you how, there were moments when she was ill there were moments when it was almost more than we could bear and she was very very sick and that that pager would go off just at the right time and we were so comforted to know that that people were partnering with us that people were literally all over the world praying for us at that exact moment but at the end of the day we were praying for her healing We were praying that God would give her 20 more years or give her 30 more or give her a full life. That's what we were praying for. And she passed away six months after that that ordeal. And if we think prayer is merely asking God for things and get God to do what we wish for him to do, then maybe we've misunderstood prayer. What if the real purpose of prayer is deeper? What if the purpose of prayer was, was so that we might know God in a deeper way? What if prayer was something more than getting answers that we want or, or, or we, that we think is right? We know certainly part of prayer is bringing those requests before God. Jesus teaches that even in this prayer where he says for us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He says we ought to pray for those things every day that we think might be mundane. But what if prayer was more than that? You see, in Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites or the pagans. Those pagans, understand, they're not irreligious. No, they, they pray. And if you notice, we all do at some point. Every last one of us prays. But these folks had a problem with their prayer. Jesus says this, they think they'll be heard because of their many words. That's what the Lord says. Prayer for these folks is about manipulating God. If I just pray enough, or, or I develop a, the, the right strategy, or if I get enough people to pray, or if I, or if I learn the key to prayer, then, then we can somehow manipulate God to do exactly what we want to do. And if that's our view of prayer, prayer then becomes like magic. And prayer is not magic. In fact, Jesus would say, he would say that God, God knows um, what we or wanting, needing, even before we ask. And so some people say, then why in the world should we pray? I heard somebody else say, it's because the Lord loves to hear the sound of our voice. We pray in order to get to know God. 
to nurture a relationship. God is our Father. Here's what someone once said, and it is so true. Someone once said, we're not desperate for something. We're desperate for someone. And that's at the heart of prayer. It's coming to know God. It's coming to love God and adore God. Prayer is when we spend time with the Lord, getting to know the Lord better. Maybe this thing called prayer is designed for us so that we can get to know God better. What if the priority of prayer wasn't talk, but time? Now I want to remind you of something that you already know. The most important thing in your world right now, it's not your job. The most important thing in your world, it's, it's not a hobby. The most important thing in your world is not your finances, it's not your favorite football team, it's not even your family. The most important thing in your world is not your husband, not your wife, it's not even your kids. The most important thing in your world is your personal, intimate relationship with the Lord, and that relationship is nurtured through prayer. You see, the depth of my prayer life, you show, you show someone the depth of their prayer life, and I'll show someone the depth of their relationship with God. And so what if we saw prayer as a time we get to be alone with God? What do we learn from Jesus? We see Jesus is constantly getting away from the disciples to be a, alone with God. And so he's alone with God, prays all night before he chooses the 12 apostles. I don't, I don't think that means that for, you know, seven or eight hours or how many hours Jesus is talking, 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 talking. I don't think that. I think Jesus got alone just to be in God's presence, just to be with his Father. Oh, I'm certain he spoke to his Father, but he also enjoyed being in the presence of his Father. I think we learned one more thing from Jesus about prayer, and it's this. When we talk about prayer, it's easy to talk about have to or need to, but how do we get, get to the want to when it comes to prayer? How does, how does want to become get to? When I understand that, that prayer is an opportunity to be involved in what God is doing in our world, prayer becomes something that I, I get to do and I want to do. Prayer becomes powerful in the relationship. Now, in other sermons, you have talk, heard me talk about the power of prayer I once heard someone say we should pray because prayer changes what is possible. I believe that. I believe you, you read through the, the letters of Paul, and Paul had this sense that doors would remain closed had he not and others prayed to, for them to open. Paul had this sense that the message he was preaching would fall flat if it were not for people who were praying. Paul and Luke also would say that, that, you know, the Lord would give them words to say, pray and, and seek the Holy Spirit, and God would give you the words to say as you stood in front of kings and authorities and, and all the rest. Prayer, prayer is powerful. My goal in this sermon today is to help all of us see that, that prayer is a way to connect with the God of the universe. But here's the truth. Prayer is powerful, not because prayer is powerful in and of itself. Prayer is powerful because God is powerful. The way we connect to that power is through, is through surrender. Surrender is seen in the attitude of Jesus himself when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
as Jesus faced the agony of bearing the sins of the world on the, on the cross, what he said ultimately was, was, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And when we take that attitude to prayer, prayer is a way that we submit and we yield to God. And when we surrender to God and to God's perfect plan, then we see him begin to work in ways we never imagined. Prayer, you see, is ultimately an act of trust. It's in prayer. You see, that prayer that Jesus prayed was not a cop-out when he said, Father, here's what I'm asking. I want this cup to pass, but not my will. Yours be done. And from our vantage point on Good Friday, it looked like anything but good. From our vantage point on, on that Friday, it looked like Jesus lost. It looked like things had come to an end. He died. And the disciples thought, well, it's all over. But they didn't know all of God's plan. They didn't know what was coming on Sunday morning. They didn't know how God was going to raise Jesus from the dead on that third day and they didn't know that Jesus was bearing the sins of the world and that that was part of God's plan all along and that Jesus didn't experience defeat he experienced victory but he didn't understand this he 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 was he was yielding he was submitting himself to God and that's what we do in in prayer you see I ultimately value prayer because I value God. I come to understand that this, my relationship with God is the most important relationship I have, and it's the basis for me, for every other relationship I have. My relationship with God affects my relationship with my wife. My relationship with God affects my relationship with my kids. In Tim Keller's book on prayer, Tim Keller says that he only really discovered the the power of prayer the second half of his life. He, he really didn't know a lot about prayer. He, he prayed, but he struggled with prayer, as a lot of folks do. And he said he was reading through the book of Psalms, and he, he came to realize just by reading the Psalms and studying the Psalms uh, how much more there was to prayer that he didn't really understand. Then about that time, 9-11 happened, and he said, you know, New York City, where he lived and preached, it entered into this time of, of, of corporate clinical depression, even as the city rallied in time and, and people came to their aid, that there was still this malaise in, in the city. And then also in that time, his wife, Kathy, was struggling with Crohn's disease, and her Crohn's was really starting to kick up. And, and then he was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And when all of that was happening, his wife came to him, and, and she said, Honey, I want us to commit to a discipline. I want us to be committed to this discipline. We've done it at various times in our life, but we've really not been committed to it. And that discipline is, I want us to pray for each other and with each other every night before we go to bed. And then she used this illustration. She said, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you, would ne- you uh, could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. And then she said this. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it. 
because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it slip from our minds. And I believe that's true for all of our lives. We have to pray. Too too many of us, we go through life living on our own, not depending on anyone, not depending on God, and we offer a perfunctory prayer here or there. But if we look at the example of Jesus, what can Jesus teach us about prayer? The thing we learn from Jesus is that he was utterly dependent on God the Father, and that is seen in his prayer life. He yielded to God, not my will, Father, but yours, as he prayed. And I think that's what Jesus can teach us.